Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Do you guys remember that horrible, wonderful place that used to be around called a skating rink? <laughs> Remember that? There's actually some of them still in the country today. They still have some, but it used to be that that was the thing, right? I mean, if you were if you were in middle school or in high school, and even after that, I suppose, Friday night, Saturday night, man, you went to the roller ring, and then they had the cheap nights like Tuesday night or Thursday night where you could two for one and all that kind of stuff. How many of y'all have ever been to a skating ring, right? All right. Um, now, they still have them. I, I've, I've been there, but... Uh, it's not anything like it used to be. I say wonderful and I say horrible at the same time because there are two kinds of people at a skating rink. There are the cool people and there are everybody else. Am I right? Yep. Now, if you were the cool people, I didn't like you. And I may not still like, I still may not like you. Because I was in the uncool people category. And uh, it was a little, it was a little, you know, it, it was just, only at a skating rink could you experience the full range of emotion that a human has. From excitement and anticipation of how amazing it was going to be, to nervousness and tenseness when you get to the door and you're looking around and you're seeing who's there. Then when you go in and you get your skates and you actually have to put them on and start skating. And then you're kind of in that luminal state where you know you're going to fall, but you want to try to fall where if people do see you, it's like, I meant to do that, right? And then they have the couple skate. Now you're into the fear zone, right? Because there's always that one girl... You may not have no any idea what her name is, but you want to skate with her or that guy that you want to skate, right? And so it's couple skate. And then they have the races. And the races, you know, the races pretty much anybody could do. If you lost, you lost, at least you tried. But the single worst part about a skating rink was the shuffle. You remember that one? That was the one where all the cool kids got to be really super cool. And you had to look like a drunk chicken, basically. I mean, it, 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 at least I've never seen a drunk chicken, but I'm imagining in my head what a drunk chicken would look like. Me, roller skate, shuffle, drunk chicken. That's it right there. And so, you know, the thing about skating is this. To learn to skate, it's always best when somebody helps you learn. Nobody skates right out of the gate. I mean, I say nobody. Maybe there's some unicorn out there somewhere. But at the end of the day, everybody starts at the same spot. We have feet that we're not meant to have four wheels on each one of them. You get you get your skates on, and you're you know you're like this, and then you and no, always somebody wants to help you. But can I make a recommendation? Never let somebody who doesn't know how to skate teach you how to skate. Am I right? Because if you don't know how to skate and you try to teach somebody to skate, you're both going down. And it's going to hurt. If you want to learn to skate, get somebody who knows how to skate. Somebody who the four wheels on each foot are like an extension of their body. The ones who can go forward, sideways, backwards. They can stop. They can hop. They can jump. They can do this thing right here. Right? (laughs) By the way, uh, that's not as easy as it looks. (laughs) Ask me how I know. (laughs) It was bad. Get somebody who knows how to skate, because when somebody knows how to skate, teaches you to skate, even when you're falling, 
they will stay up. And you won't look as nerdy because they've kept you up. So that whole picture of skating is a beautiful picture, I think, of our life. In our life, so many of us live our life as someone who doesn't know how to skate. There's an awkwardness. There's, a, there's an insecurity. There's this, this, this restlessness, and we're just not sure what we're going to do on these eight wheels. But when you come to the place in your life where you are comfortable on skates, I'm talking metaphorically here, when you get to the place where you know where you start and where you end, you now are in a position to start helping other people. We have several names for that. One would be wholeness. When you become whole, you're now in a position to help somebody else be whole. When you have boundaries, you now are in the position to help somebody else boundaries when, have boundaries. When you are healthy, you now are in the position for somebody else to be healthy. So the passage today is in Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. And this, this passage really is dealing with the concept of wholeness and boundaries. This, this, this passage really teaches us the need for us to know where we start and where we end. I was uh, reading some about this this week, and uh, one particular counselor that I was reading, he said, you know, 90% of the people that come into my office for counseling, 90% of them, their issue is an issue of boundaries. Their issue is that they don't have a clearly defined self. They don't know where they, they don't know where they end. So let me tell you what a boundary is. A boundary is knowing what you're responsible for and who you're responsible to. A boundary is knowing where your yard is. Knowing where the fence is. And the, the thing about boundaries is this. If you have them, but if you don't communicate them, people are going to trample them and you can't be angry at them for it. The thing about boundaries is if you don't have them, then people will come and go and you will come and go on and off your own property and it will cause you great pain and great frustration. In the scripture in Galatians chapter 6, ultimately this is dealing with being whole and having boundaries. So in verse 1, brothers and sisters. By the way, before I do that, I want to tell you, we've seen some really neat things from God in the last couple of years. We've seen healing, right? Now, healing of the physical body is great. But I will trade a limp for, an, for, for a sound mind every day of the week. Wouldn't you? If I choose between a limp or sound mind, I'm going to choose a sound mind. I can deal with the broken body. If I have to choose between broken sight or, or whole, being whole spiritually, I'd take the spiritual part, right? Now, it's not like the body's not important. That is important. We should, we should take care of our bodies. We should ask God to heal us when we got something wrong. But at the end of the day, healing is about the whole person. It's about being whole emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. And so I think that, that, that this overarching theme that God has been, been teaching us, that this journey that we've been on is for God to say to us, church, if you want to be light in the world, you've got to find wholeness through me. And, and we have got to do the hard work of becoming whole. And when I say that, I'm saying 
doing the work that's our responsibility, but it is God who does the transformation. Amen? So chapter 6, Galatians verse 1. It says, brothers and sisters. Notice he's talking to the church. This is Paul's epistle to the church at Galatia. And he's speaking to people of God. He's saying, brothers and sisters, family, those who live under the same roof, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are someone or something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. And so Paul begins his passage by by addressing the, the brothers and sisters. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So let's break this verse down. If someone is caught in a sin, that, that, that word caught in a sin or that phrase in the Greek, it's really better translated caught by a sin. It's the idea of a person who's not willfully wanting to sin, but a person who's struggling and wrestling and their flesh just gets the better of them. Now, it's still sin, but the intention of the heart is, is, is different. It's, it's one who wants to pursue God, but it's one who sin has been chasing and chomping, and sin has caught up with them. And so the sin has overtaken them or overwhelmed them, and it gives the idea of this person being helpless and hopeless and discouraged and broken. So it says, if someone is caught by sin or caught in a sin, it's it, 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 it been overtaken by a sin then those who are spiritual should restore them gently. Okay? Who's supposed to do the restoring? Those who are spiritual. Let me rephrase that for you. Those who are whole. Those who understand boundaries. Those who have a clear understanding of who they are, who God is, and who they're responsible to. So the one who is spiritual should restore them. Now what does the word restore mean? It's a beautiful picture that we have in the, in the, in the passage here. There's two meanings or, or two explanations for this word restore. Outside of Scripture, this Greek word used for restore is t- used when it's speaking of mending a broken bone, or more specifically, setting a broken bone. Now, I've never had, well, actually, I guess I have had a broken bone right here, but I, I've never had a broken, big, a big broken bone where it had to be set. If you've had one of those, you know it's very painful, right? And you know it's very funky. I've seen it. My own daughter has had a couple of different broken bones, and it's, it's, it's gnarly to look at, right? But in order to set a broken bone, what you're doing is you're taking the, the misaligned bone and instead of just letting it heal broken or, or in, instead of letting it heal deformed, you're writing it. You're, you're putting it back in place. And so I always think to myself, I've been working on this. So if you get a broken bone, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, 
You want me to tell you, show you a little trick to take your mind off that pain? You might feel a little bit of pressure. Let me have your pinky. That's what I'm going to do, okay? That's my, that's, I've been working on this. I'm, I'm working to be a paramedic, and that's my phraseology. I, I, it's worked before in the past. I'm thinking it's going to work now. Some of y'all got that. Some of you have no idea. Just let's keep moving. So, in order to set the bone, you actually will put it back in place. Now, here's the deal. That is painful, right? Setting a broken bone is painful, but it's necessary. Now, the person who sets it, oh, that, that's the one phrase, that's the one picture. The other picture that is used in the scripture for restore is mending nets. If you've been a, a fisherman and you've ever thrown a cast net, it's going to happen. Your cast net is going to be torn. You're either going to tear it on rocks or you're going to snag it on something on the boat. But there's going to be holes throughout your net. And amazingly, fish know where those small holes are. You can have a 12-foot net and all the fish will find the three inches that there's a hole in. I don't know how it happens, but they're smart. So to mend the net would be to make the net whole, would be to restore the net back to perfect, workable, usable condition. Those are our pictures. Setting a bone, restoring, or mending the net. So the Bible says, if anyone has been caught by a sin, those who are spiritual, those who are whole should restore them, should set the bone, should mend the net, but they should do it gently. Why? Because the goal is not condemnation. The goal is wholeness. The goal is to bring another person back into a right relationship with both God and with people. All right? So all over these first couple of verses, oh, and then the very next verse, or the very next part of the first verse, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. This, this is, is smeared with the understanding of boundaries. And folks, I'm telling you, if you will learn boundaries, if you will set boundaries, if you will communicate boundaries, and if you will, will, will hold boundaries, your life will be radically different and radically better. Guaranteed. So that's the first, first verse. Someone caught by a sin. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, somebody might, who's really paying attention, might say, wait a minute, this is a contradiction, because in verse 5 it says, each one should carry their own load. So what am I supposed to do? Carry each other's burdens or carry my own load? Well, again, it's boundaries. It's both and. And the difference is found in the word burdens and load. For, for when the scripture says, carry each other's burdens, the Bible is talking about the overwhelming boulder that people often find themselves under. It's the weight that is beyond the normal weight of life. It's, it's something that happens to a person, whether it's a tragedy or a, 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 an accident, you know, whatever. It, it's this, this burden that, that weighs them down and they're physically unable, physically, spiritually, emotionally, unable to carry it themselves. The Bible says you and I are to go over, stick a shoulder underneath, and carry their burden with them. Here's where boundaries come in. Too many times, if we don't know boundaries, haven't, had, haven't set boundaries, don't enforce boundaries, we go to somebody's boulder and we say, I'll take that for you. We place it on ourselves and we start walking 
and we're carrying their boulder. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that you alleviate the boulders from other people's lives. It's but we're supposed to carry one another. It's in cooperation. It's together so that they're not carrying it alone, so that they're carrying it with you, but they're still responsible for the boulders. That makes sense? Again, because we don't set boundaries very well, we own what is not ours to own, we try to fix what is not ours to fix, and then we get frustrated when it doesn't work out the way we want, and then we get angry because they're not thankful or they're not appreciative or whatever. But here's the deal. When we carry somebody else's boulder for them, then we have eliminated the law of sowing and reaping, which is in verse 7. We've essentially taken away God's design for humanity. And we've said, look, I'm going to just take away, the, take away this law. And then they're going, oh, okay, I'll just do the same thing again. Because there is no reaping of what I sowed. Does this make sense? So you have the one who's caught by sin. You have carry one another's burdens. Big, heavy load. And then... You also have it, the scripture says here, that carrying that burden is fulfilling the law of Christ. That is what? Love one another. So the law of Christ is the law of love. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. When we carry someone else's burdens with them, we're actually loving them. But how we love them is determined by our boundaries. You're going to hear me say that word a hundred thousand times today. You'll probably be sick of it. But I promise you, if you will learn and set and enforce boundaries, which by the way, your boundaries are enforced and set by nobody else but you. Your boundaries are your boundaries. I don't set them for you. Your wife or your husband doesn't set them for you. Your kids don't set them for you. Your parents don't even set them for you. Now, your parents teach you how to set boundaries, hopefully. You, you, you have boundaries that are developed over a lifetime, but at some point, you have to own your own life. Can I get an amen? Here, let, let me say it more pointedly. Most of the things in your life, in terms of the things that you can control, how you feel, how you think, those kind of things, they're nobody else's fault but yours. Here's what we like to do. We like to blame everybody else for how we feel. Am I meddling now? They, I feel terrible. She made me feel terrible. No, she said words that might have been ugly and unkind, but you feel what you feel because that's your choice to feel how you feel. Does that make sense? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that other people can affect us, but what you feel is 100% your choice. Or, let me say differently, it's 100% inside of you because it's what you choose to do with what other people do in relation to you. You ever, he made me so angry. No, he didn't. He might have been dumb. He might have been unkind. He might have been totally uh, uh, disrespectful. But you were angry because you chose to react to him with anger. Y'all see the difference here? If we're blaming somebody else, then it's always their fault. And have you ever noticed that when it's always somebody else's fault... We never get better. We never find wholeness. We never find healing. 
Because it's always somebody else. Listen, if it's their fault for making you angry, then it's their responsibility to make you unangry, right? Guess what? That probably ain't going to happen. Because it wasn't their fault in the first place. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. In this passage, we clearly have a responsibility to others and how we treat them, how we love them, how we care for them, how we shoulder each other's burdens. But that's different than owning the situations that we're in. I have a friend of mine who posted the other day a really, really great post, and I identified with it because this same thing happened to me, not, not exactly alike, but similar. He said this, he said, I um, was in college and I was late to a class again, and I was unprepared, and I strolled in after everybody had started, and the professor called me out on it and said, hey, why are you late? He said, I threw out some flippant response of, you know, just whatever. And I laughed about it. He said, the professor said, let me tell you something, son. There are two kinds of people in this world. People who make excuses and people who don't. That's it. I see a world. I see a culture where we make more excuses than we own. I'm late because they did something. I'm, I didn't do my work because this happened. I didn't do what I said I was going to do because they. Can I just tell you that until you and I stop making excuses, and until we stop, start owning what is ours to own, our life is going to continue to be in chaos. And in a mess. My family is in chaos because of all these things we have to do. Well, guess what? You choose what you do. Right? You know, my kids, my wife, my spouse, whatever. All of these things are in the, are in the, the boundaries that God has rightfully given us. It's a yard that He's given us. And your boundaries are yours to define based on what God says, and they are yours to enforce, you may not come over here. No, you may not step into my boundary, because it is my boundary. You may not come into my house and rearrange my furniture while I'm away. You may not come into my yard and help yourself to whatever you'd like. You may not come in and take my car. Right? Because they're mine. Now, this might sound unbiblical, but in the next couple of weeks I'm going to show you that it's actually God-ordained. It's God-built. Think about it. God created a garden, right? And what did He do with that garden? He created boundaries. He said, in this garden, everything is yours to eat. You can name everything, but you may not partake of this tree. He built a fence. He built a boundary. He made Adam and Eve put them together, and he said this, What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Let no man separate. He built a boundary, right? Cain and Abel, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Your brother's blood is crying from the ground. He built a boundary. He says, I, the Lord, take life and I, the Lord, give life. 
See, they're all over Scripture. Everything in the Bible, essentially, is defining our boundaries. In Galatians, this definition is so, inter- or excuse me, boundaries are so intertwined that if we don't understand them, we're not going to get this right. Here's what I mean. If we don't understand that if someone is caught in a sin and we try to restore them, but they don't want to be restored, we can't restore them. But I need them to be restored. They're the ones that need to be restored. You just given the, the command to assist. But if they tell you no, you can't do anything else. This burden's so heavy, they can't carry it alone. I'm going to help them carry it. But if they say, no, 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 you cannot carry my burden, what are you going to do? Force them to carry it? You say, no, that's silly. But folks, listen, we do this every day. We take things from other people. We carry things that aren't ours. We take responsibility for things that aren't ours. We try to, to, to change things that aren't ours. And I promise you, if that's what you're doing, it's driving you nuts. Am I right? So you say, well, how do we, how do, we do this? Well, the key is right here. Those of you who are living by the Spirit... To live by the Spirit means that you are controlled by the Spirit. What that means is you have clearly identified your responsibility. This is mine, right? This is my garden. This is my yard. This is my whatever. This is mine to manage. This is mine to steward. But I'm going to do all of this by God's direction. I'm going to plant as God leads me to plant. I'm going to build as God leads me to build. I'm going to, I'm going to prune and shape and all these things as God leads me to, to do that through His Spirit, which is relational. Every single day, I'm allowing His Spirit to speak to me and to use me and to flow through me, if you can use that word flow, right? So His Spirit's going to move through me, and as I'm doing that... He's going he's gonna to show me outside of my boundaries. And He's going to show me my neighbor. And He's going to say, you see your neighbor's garden? It's got a lot of weeds in it. Why don't you offer to help get the weeds out? Now, don't just go pulling their weeds for them. Because they got to own their weeds. But you can go get in the dirt with them and help them pull them. And it's your neighbor saying, you know what? I do need help because I can't do it myself. Do you see how the relational aspect and, and you know, the, you know, the overarching basis of all this is it's fulfilling the law of Christ. It's loving one another. So the, the scripture then says in verse three, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. This is what I'm talking about. It's recognizing where your borders are. My borders aren't, too, aren't bigger than they are, and they're not smaller than they are. I know exactly where they are. And each one should test their own actions. They should take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, I, am I meddling? I mean, I, is this uncomfortable? Should take pride in themselves We should test our actions, test these things, and we should be careful not to compare ourselves to someone else. That's a person who doesn't have boundaries. That's a person who's looking over going, ooh, I wish that was my yard. That's a person who hasn't identified who they are in Christ. 
That's a person who thinks they're more than they really are. For a person to stop the comparison game, they have to recognize who God made them to be and what God put them responsible for. Can I give you a couple of, of, of uh, possibilities? God has made all, God's made all of us to be His child, right? He, he's called us to follow Him, to, for, for Him to be the Lord of our life. But within our child, father-son or father-daughter relationship, He's also called us to a, 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 a life of influence. And this life of influence happens in many different ways. We could be an educator. We could be a, a pastor. We could be a business person. We could be in the medical field. But however we make a living, wherever we earn our living, he's actually using that as a means to an end. And the means to an end is that job is a way for me to be a light bearer and a hope monger. I like that word. It's a hope giver outer. That's what I, right? And so that's official. That's in the Hebrew. Hope giver outer. You can look it up. Um, and so, so in our profession, if you will, that's where he's planted us. That's where he's placed us. And, and as we're doing that, we're not to look over and go, oh, but, but they're more important because they, they have a bigger job. They have a, they have a bigger crowd. They have a, they have a more important title, a, a better position. No. If God has placed you here, then we need to learn to quit comparing ourselves to other people and say, you know what? I am who God has made me to be, and I'm going to grow where I'm planted. Paul says it this way. I've learned the secret of being content in life. Or I've learned a secret in life, right? I'm going to be content whether I'm well-fed, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm popular, whether I'm not popular, whether I'm in jail, whether I'm free. The secret is I can do all things through Christ. And that doesn't mean that you can be a great baseball player in the name of Jesus Christ. We've got to stop misusing that verse, by the way. It does mean that all the things that He sends me out to do, He's with us and He's working through us. And because He's planted us, we're going to bear much fruit if we stay in Him. Does that make sense? And so, the Scripture clearly says here that we're supposed to test our actions. We're supposed to, to check our own heart and make sure that we're not stepping outside of our boundaries. And then verse 5, For each one should carry their own load. Now remember I told you the differences in the wording. Burden is a big boulder. It's an overwhelming weight that cannot be carried by a person alone. It's, it's something that has to be shared in order to be moved. But a load is different. A load gives us the picture of a soldier who's carrying his pack. And in his pack, he's got his, uh, 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 his sleeping bag or his, his bedroll. He's got some food. He's got his canteen. These are the, the everyday things that he needs. Here's what the Bible's saying. Each one of us is responsible for our own load. Now, just that right there is one of those aha moments. And I'm not going to say generationally, but it seems as though each succeeding generation has less and less comprehension of this. Was that mean? I mean, we, we want to put it off for somebody else. We want somebody else to be responsible. But no, our load is our load. My anger is my anger. My joy is my joy. My hope is my hope. My, my, uh, my, my, my giftedness is my gift. It's my load. It's not your load. It's mine. 
Now that that's not that that that, that means that, that I'm staying in my lane. I'm I'm doing what's been given me to do, and I'm not looking over and going, "How come your life is easier?" Well, you know what? That's not the load God gave them. God gave them that load. God gave me my load. I just carry my load. We spend so much time looking over, wondering, and wishing. And we forget that, you know what, the grass isn't greener on the other side. And if it is, it's because there's a septic tank under there. Really? Each one is responsible for their own load. Now, here's what's interesting. Our load will always be there. It's our responsibility until the day we die. Even in the midst of carrying our own load, we're supposed to help bear one another's burdens. So you see, the, you see the, the, the intricacies here of how as a well-defined person, as a person who's whole, as a person who knows where their responsibility ends and where it starts, a person who can help others only to the point of which they'll let you help them, a person who says, you know what, don't place that on me, that's yours. I have to say that we're not always really good at enforcing these boundaries that God has given us. We let people come in and manipulate us, and we let people come in and, and do things, and we let people come in and, and cause us to be, feel guilty. By the way, I have to say that some of this, if you don't have good boundaries, some of it's your parents' fault. <laughs> I just contradicted what I said, didn't I? You didn't catch that, or did you? No, some of this, though, actually was made more difficult by your parents. If your parents didn't have really good boundaries for you, and if they didn't help you define them, you had a little bit harder struggle, but it doesn't alleviate you from the responsibility that you still have. We're, we, 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 we define boundaries when we're two years old. Did you know that? Learning to say no is a boundary. Knowing that we're not allowed to just take something that is, that is not ours, that's a boundary. Knowing when something is dangerous or something is unsafe, that's a boundary. Some people have had the, the, the horrible experience of being violated. That, that, that breaks the most sacred boundary you have, which is your skin. Did you know that your skin is the largest organ in your body. How cool is that? That's my new information that I just feel like I'm very smart because I know it. And then my daughter's like, I learned that in second grade. I'm like, okay, well, don't, don't mess with my Cheerios. I'm happy. <laughs> How many of y'all didn't know that? Anybody? Your skin is your largest organ. Isn't that cool? You know what your skin is? Your skin is a God-given boundary that defines you. I'm not talking color. I'm talking the physical properties of your skin. It, it's where you end. And it's where you start. When somebody is violated, when somebody is abused, especially at an early age, that is a violation that, is, that, that, that can cause some boundary confusion. And I, I want to tell you this because... Some of you guys may be struggling with boundaries because you were violated under... It wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything to earn it, deserve it. You, you, there's nothing you could have done. It was done to you. 
And that was a sin on the offender's part, not on your part. But some of you are still living under the burden of not setting boundaries because you don't feel like you have the worth that God has actually placed in you. And so if that's you today, can I just offer to you the hope that comes from the gospel? And that hope is the promise of God never leaving you and never forsaking you. And it's the promise of God being your defender and your protector. You say, well, that just, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Look, I can't, I can't make all of the sense out of it. All I can do is tell you the truth of what the Bible says. So if you're struggling with boundaries and, and that is in your past, you're going to have to go back and reconcile that situation in order for you to be able to set the boundaries that you have to set. And so, here's where it all winds up. Nevertheless, no one who receives instruction in the word, uh, uh, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor and do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. I believe Brent has been teaching on this uh, here in the last couple of weeks. We've, we had a conversation a week or two ago, and he made a great point. The sowing and reaping, the emphasis here is on the sowing, and it's the seed that matters. The seed that you plant is going to determine what you grow every single time with no exceptions. If you sow seeds of discord, you will reap seeds of discord. If you sow seeds of jealousy, you will reap seed or, 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 or you will reap a harvest of jealousy. If you sow seeds of greed, you will reap a harvest of greed. You cannot sow a seed of a lemon and reap a harvest of an orange. It is impossible. Amen? Because God built this into the, into the, uh, uh, the DNA of the universe. And so here's where we find ourselves. What you reap is what you sow. Therefore, I know my property, board, my property lines. I know my borders. I know my boundaries. I am going to sow in the area I'm responsible for. And then I'm going to help outside of my boundaries to those I'm responsible to. But I'm not going to own what they must plant. I'm going to assist. I'm going to offer help. But I'm not going to be angry if it doesn't work out like I want to because that's theirs, not mine. My father taught me this lesson. He probably didn't even know he taught it to me. But as an investigator with U.S. Customs, I asked one time, I said, how come um, 
You know, doesn't it make you angry when you, when you work a case for two years and, and you've done all this hard work and, and, and investigation and you, you, you've written this long report and you've turned it in and the DA chooses not to pursue the case? Doesn't that, doesn't that make you mad? I mean, doesn't that just burn you up? Make you want to hit him in the nose? Here's what he said. Now, I don't know if this was true for everything. Do you remember what you said? You probably don't. Here's what he said. He said, my job is not to prosecute. My job is to build a case. He said, once I've built a case, I've done my job. And I've given it to somebody to do their job. And whether they do their job or not has no effect on me. Because they got responsible for them. (laughs) They have to be responsible for them. And I'm responsible for me. I tried to live that way. I'm saying it's a biblical way to live. You ought to try to live that way too. So let's wrap all this up, shall we? God has given us clear instruction that we have boundaries, that we own what is ours to own, that we're to love each other and we're to, we're to offer assistance and help, but but we cannot take from them what is theirs. We are to define who we are and become comfortable in who He's made us to be. I don't know when I found... I don't know when I figured this out. I really don't. I just know that when I, when I started recognizing boundaries in my life, my life got a whole lot better. Amen? Shannon gets angry, not angry, but she gets frustrated at me all the time. She's like, don't you even care about that stuff? I go, yeah, I care, but that's, that, those, that's their circus and that's their monkeys. Does it irritate me? Yeah, sure, but you know what? Can't change it. It's theirs. Now, let me caution you. There's a danger in that you could become aloof and you could become hard-hearted and uncaring. And I think that is why the Scripture tells us that we're to... Those who are spiritual, we are to uh, uh, restore those who've uh, been caught by sin. And we are to bear one another's burdens. So it's clearly telling us we cannot be uncaring. But there's a fine line between caring and owning. So examine your own heart. This morning, don't answer this out loud, but how many of you... Own what is not yours to own. You are carrying not just one, but two, but five, but six backpacks that belong to somebody else. And your thought is this. If I don't do this, it's going to totally mess up their life. That's actually called enabling. And you're actually harming them more than you're hurting them. How many of you... Keep blaming somebody else for things that are happening in your life. Well, it's, it's their fault for this and it's their fault for that. I'm just going to say it as plainly as I know. Stop making excuses. Can I get an amen? Just stop it. Stop making excuses and own what's yours. Because the freedom of ownership is wonderful. Because until you own it, you can't change it. At the end of the day, 
Man, life is good. Life is really good. I mean, yeah, sure, it's hard, and there, there are things that don't go our way, and there are things we certainly don't plan for. But man, God's given us breath. We got eyeballs. We can see the beauty of the blue angels flying across the sky every day. We can hear babies as they cry. We get to eat donuts. Life is good. Very good. You're meant to have life. Not just endure it. Will you pray with me, Father? I pray that today you would clarify your word inside of our hearts. And I pray that you would, you would let the seed of your word grow in us. Father, may we take to heart the responsibility you've given us. And the hope that you've given us. And God, I pray that, that in this place, even right now, those in this room who are wrestling with things when it comes to boundaries, I pray that they would find freedom. Freedom to be who you've made them to be. But Father, we recognize that without you, we are nothing. And so you are in all. You are, you are what holds us together. You are the glue. You are the very substance of our being. So Father, I pray that you would, you would make us whole today. I pray that today you would move us one step closer to being like you in the way that you love and in the way that you see and in the way that you, you work and act. Lord, I don't know all that's going on in the hearts of your people today, but I do know that somebody here today needed to hear exactly what was said. So, Father, let it not fall on deaf ears. Let it move us to action. And God, I pray that your peace, which passes all understanding, would guard our hearts minds in Christ Jesus. God's people said.